Blog Talk Radio. There is no earthly way of knowing. <laughs> Good man, a lot of time. Which direction we are going? Directly El Camino. It would have been DWI. have reached a tipping point. Fine. I am recently scanned. JT Talon came by and did this did another scan to replace the one that had a hole in my head. So I think there's some kind of a there's probably some kind of message there, but the uh he says those physical awards will be ready to go by Friday night and he hopes he plans to be at Southern Honor to Present them to the people uh, who are going to be on that show, which many of the award winners will be there. So yeah. there's that little there's that little piece of business. Exciting um, business. I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, yeah, I'm also looking forward to tonight's show. Spirals is somebody I've been interested in talking with for a while. And then, you know, lo and behold, Southern Fried Wrestling getting back in action. And we'll talk to Todd Sexton about that and talk a little bit about some of those um, – videos you've been posting of, of the um, classic matches. I put another one up today. Did you see that? I saw. Yeah. Yes. Butch Reed. Butch Reed double heart attack, I heard. So, oh, man. So yeah, still kicking, wrestling. though. And uh, so it got me on the Butch Reed kick. I was maybe going to try to do a Ric Flair match, and then I saw that Magnum TA one, and I just had a feeling. I'm like, this thing is going to be awesome. And boy, was it? Man, yeah. Ernie Ladd at ringside and, you know, Jose Lothario is the ref and it was great. It was great. <laughs> One thing, yeah, Larry, I... that I noticed right away, though, in that match, because, okay, Butch Reed is not a small guy. Okay, that oh, guy's no. huge, right? He's, I mean, the way he's built is a big part of his thing, right, is just Butch Reed now. And then Magnum TA, also not a small guy, right? Ernie Ladd towered over those dudes. <laughs> and and um, and then Grizzly Smith came out to do a thing, because he's sort of the authority figure, and he towered over those dudes. So it was like Ernie Ladd and Grizzly Smith are in one height and size category, right? They're just enormous. And then Butch Reed and <laughs> Mac and TA are are bigger than almost all the guys working now. So it really sort of put into finite detail the premium that there was on size. And I thought oh. it was hilarious that the oldest guys were the biggest guys. 
there. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, ha- having, being, again, being an ancient person and having seen all those guys work live, except for Lothario, Ernie Ladd is six foot nine. Butch Reed was, what, six four? Megan yeah. was six three, six two, six three, and um, and as you pointed out, in that they could move. Those guys could move when it came time to go. When, they could move. When Magnum TA was hitting the ropes, I was like, <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I mean, even even some of the Jackrabbits working nowadays would be hard pressed. And the momentum of the things was the impressive part. When they would run each other over with shoulder tackles. Oh, yeah. Those were spots in and of themselves. This, that was no transition, you know. I hit you, I bounced. It was like kaboom! And the guy would just get laid out by the bump, and then the guy would go like, "All right, I got you," and then hit the ropes again. But I mean, everything just looked great. The strikes, especially, just fent- those forearms. Guys think they throw forearms now. <laughs> Butch Reed, like, I don't think I want to get hit by one of those. So no, it was fantastic. They, well, they, they didn't have to throw eight or ten of them. Right. Either. It, was necess- it wasn't necessary. They threw the ones that they threw. Oh, man. Yeah, and, and, and as you pointed out, Magnum, of course, would have been a world champion had he not had that horrible, that tragic accident. He he definitely would have been, would have been a world champion down the road. Yes. Yes, very much. The, and, and, I mean, he, he really skirted that line very effectively of a genuinely really good-looking dude, but a guy who had that kind of like an edge and a toughness on him. Yep. You know, just um, yep. Yep. really, really cool to see. Like, Steamboat, undeniably good-looking, undeniably a babyface and had all the mannerisms, but I don't think anybody would say that he had an edge about him. But Magnum no. walked that line, I thought, really well. Megan you know. was also a rugged ass kicking guy too, you know. So, yeah. And you know, I thought you also pointed out the uh, percentage of women in the crowd uh, at those shows, which which is what it was oh. when I went to the Omni. It was like that. And I'll say of the of the modern uh, of the local shows in Georgia, the only one that has that kind of a mix is um, Southern Honor. Oh yes. Yes, Southern Honor. AWE, too, at a smaller level. AWE, yes. And that's something I used to pride, you know, PCW on back in the day of like, hey, there's women here. Hey, there's good-looking women here. And and as I I pointed out in my last AWE review, AWE definitely has the best-looking women of any show. No no, no doubt about it. That's just just the way it is. Some Henny shots, Larry. You got to get with the Henny shots. That's for the... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I will say too the deathmatch shows I go to here in Florida. God bless them. A lot of yeah. a lot of women that look like they would be incredibly bad decisions that I would be very happy to make. <laughs> well, we're gonna have Spiral on, and we're gonna have Todd yeah. Sexton. And that's going to be wonderful. But, Larry, I have a topic I would like to sort of throw out there for our discussion right now. Here's the topic. So I talked about it briefly in full disclosure. But um, when did the shift occur where talent was expected to promote the show? When, When did that happen? Because 
That wasn't really the case. Now, social media, of course, is a different animal. That's part of it. But, I mean, I was there. I was wrestling, you know, at the end of 90s and beginning of 2000s. Now, we weren't, I mean, there was never discussion about, you know, oh, you know, share about the show or that kind of thing. But we were, for some shows, not all of them, not even most of them that I did, but for certain groups, you were expected to physically sell tickets. Does that happen anymore to your knowledge? I don't think it does. The physically selling ticket part, I'm not so familiar with, except getting family members to, and friends to come to the shows. But beyond that physical selling part, I don't know. Now, um, yeah, I mean, prior to the, to the to all the Facebook stuff, there wasn't any I, – I don't remember guys being asked to sell – to, well, there wasn't any poster sharing because it was all real physical posters put up in the towns. I know in Nashville, in the Nashville area, of course, it was common for people to have to sell tickets to um, they were to get on shows, and it was like a, 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 a or a, or in some cases a pay to work deal up there with Bert with Bert Prentice. Yeah, um, but um, that certainly wasn't true back in the day in Georgia in Georgia wrestling. No. No, well, Dan Magnus, who I worked for in <clears throat> Colorado, you had to sell 10 tickets. And if you couldn't sell those 10 tickets, I know for a fact that a ton of the boys just ate the money so they could be on the show. Oh, so you did have um, a pay-to-work deal. Yeah, so, I mean, it, it, it amounted to a, basically a pay-to-work deal. But you would get paid off of the tickets as well. So you would get a buck or two for each ticket. Mm. So, so some of the guys became really prolific at selling the tickets, which led to pushes and different kinds of things, which annoyed a lot of the wrestlers. But Dan's rationale was, look, if I've got this guy in a house of four to 500, that was the other thing is we never worked in front of a small house ever, <laughs> you know, because 20 wrestlers on the card do the math, right? You've got 200 tickets sold before you even put up a, you know, poster. So um, some of the guys were, would sell 40 or 50 tickets and they would get a push because Dan's rationale was there's a large section of the house that are automatically here for those guys. And <laughs> people didn't like that rationale, especially old school wrestling people, but I kind of saw it. I, I'm, I'm bringing this up because I've seen a lot of complaining lately from promoters publicly about guys not sharing their um, posters. They're not sharing the flyers. Now, my contention is to whine about it publicly to me just shows a lack of control. And I would have never put that kind of thing out publicly. But I was also not the guy that was like, come on, guys, share flyers. Uh, My contention is I didn't have to because our shit looked great. And <laughs> the guys took a sort of pride in wanting to share it um, because they look so good. So I said, you know, if your poster looks phenomenal and, you know, and, and, then, and you've asked them to do it behind the scenes, that's the other thing is how many of these guys are going, guys, you know, great show tonight. Appreciate you so much. Do me a favor. We're going to get that, you know, poster out. Um, I'll send it to the listserv group and then all of you can share it. I guarantee you none of them have that level of efficiency so hopefully they'll get it that was that's what i was trying to do so. well 
Yeah, so I covered Nashville wrestling before I really covered Georgia wrestling. I didn't start covering Georgia independent wrestling until until Wildside. But up there, as I say, and they weren't <clears throat> there were no houses of 500, but there certainly were houses of 200, and guys were expected to, if not expected to, they did get pushes if they got 15 or 20 friends, family members, so forth to buy tickets and come to the show. Yeah. Um, so that was common. But the, isn't it the I don't know. Isn't it the promoter's job to promote the show, not the wrestler's job to promote the show? Amen. Ding, ding, ding. That was going to be my final point is, look, <laughs> it is the promoter's job to promote the show. And we have all these expectations for the wrestlers, a lot of which are, let's be real, un- uh, unreasonable. Or unnecessary, right? There's all these protocols that exist about, you know, get there an hour before the show. I've heard some promotions are like, get there two hours before the show. What the oh, yeah. fuck does anybody need to be at the show two hours early for if you're not putting up the ring? What the fuck is that? <laughs> so I'm going to go out there and wrestle for 10 minutes. I have to be there two hours in advance. Suck my dick. I mean, so if the wrestlers are, I mean, because my thing with PCW, that's my frame of reference, is I wanted the guys to do as little with the ring as possible, <laughs> and I wanted them to just focus on what they were doing, and I was just reasonable about everything. I just, you know, I didn't know any other way to treat people because it's how I wanted to be treated as a wrestler, and rarely was. <laughs> so I just remember a lot of time things with different promoters and they all had their own weird standards and none of them were reasonable. There was nobody that was like, look, I know you're going to be there. I've worked with you a bunch of times. So, you know, get there and have your stuff ready to go. Okay. I, I just, once I would have prayed for somebody to talk to me that way. So that's how I tended to talk to other people. So, hmm. yeah, I don't, I I don't know. Um, oh, you know, it occurs to me that just changing subjects since we last convened, what uh, Anthony Henry is signed, yeah, and Priscilla Kelly is signed, and Elena Knight. Black. Elena Black is signed. Not really a Georgia person, but someone we've talked about on here. Yeah, definitely. We're both big fans of hers when she showed up on Dark and went. Oh. Yeah, yeah, and. Um, and I mean, for for all of the, I I do love like wrestling websites and stuff and their weird theories and like it's like WWE is no longer going to be signing people just to keep them away from anybody anymore. <sighs> yes, they are. I think I think they definitely have sensed that the battle lines have shifted. You can't sign yeah. everybody, but you know what you can do? You can basically decide to take every woman off the market that you possibly can. Sure. And this isn't a knock against Priscilla Kelly or Elena Black or anybody else, but clearly there's an emphasis right now on the women's division in a way that there hasn't been before. And they're locking those women up. They are locking those women up, man. And, I mean, more power to them. And hopefully Elena Black can, you know, and Priscilla Kelly and the rest can learn more and 
get on television and things like that. But it's clear. I mean, they signed him and they threw him in a match right away, which I thought was a little nutty. <laughs> yeah, that surprised me too that uh-huh. they did that. Yeah. Yeah. So, can we? T- okay, can we talk about Priscilla Kelly's hair? Um, she's got to go back to the black man. She's got to go. She's got to go black hair, heavy eye makeup. She's got to. I, I wish she would go back to that look. I think having orange hair or whatnot. I think you can have one a show. You can have one person <laughs> with unusual hair color a show. That's it. Sasha Banks got SmackDown. Yeah. Right. And NXT at Shotzi Blackheart. Right. I don't think anybody else should do it. I think it takes away from them. Um, plus, do you really want to be compared with Sasha Banks? Do you really want to be compared with Shotzi Blackheart and her star level right now? I don't think so. And I think Priscilla Kelly does not need her hair to be orange to stand out. I think she should go black. Um, I think it was a really good look for her. And, yeah, that's just my opinion, but... I, I think I the orange hair looked more goofy. Yeah, she had more uniqueness, mm-hmm. really, with with the black hair. Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree. Hey, I think we got and no matter what her hair line. color is. What's that? Go oh, ahead. please, yes. No, no, no. Shall we bring him please. on? I think I think yes. we have him here. We are joined by the wrestler known as the Bosnian War Child. We'll find out. We'll find out more about why he is called that. Joining us now on the tipping point is Spiral. Welcome to the show. What up, what up? How you What's doing? Up, good man? to be here, finally. How yeah, we've been talking about this for a while now. It's good. Thank you for uh, for making it happen. I know, it's about time. We've been going back and forth for like three years, I think. Like, oh, we should do it, we should do it. <laughs> it's about time, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, man. All right. So, people have been telling me you got the skills. All this kind of stuff. I, I finally watched some full matches. Holy shit, you're good. And it's not just the high-flying stuff or the ability to hit spots. Really, the, it's, there's, there's certain guys that just have a natural flow and a feel when they're moving around in the ring. And that translates to good basics and that translates to good strikes and everything else that you're doing. Who how did you get to be this way? Um, because you really flow very naturally in the ring. I would say, like, there's maybe a dozen guys right now in the Georgia area who I would say got it like you got it only. So oh, wow. what do you attribute thank, thank that you. to? Yeah, no, for real. I was really impressed. Well, thank you, Matt. I, uh, I appreciate that, man. I've, I've, I've been grinding for 10 years now. You know, um, I started with uh, Bill DeMott at first in 2009. Mm. Um, and then, you know, from, from Bill DeMott, you know, he kind of left to do, uh, was it tough enough? And then uh, I stayed with Mike, Micah Taylor, you know, I, I trained with, pretty much with Micah Taylor. And then uh, after Mike, I went to Japan for three months. I trained with uh, Ikudo Hidaka. Um, mm. Then when I came back, I stayed with Mike, of course, Um and you know, I also you know help help develop our guys down there at the underground as well. Um, honestly, man, I just I'm I'm just grateful that I had good trainers and good coaches. You know, uh, right from the beginning, 
um, because when I started with Bill DeMott, Bill DeMott is not a spotty guy, and he's not going to teach you that, you know? Um, no, it's not all at about, all. Uh, yeah. yeah, you know, it, it's all about uh, think, shoot, and, um, you know, I competed. You know, I, I, uh, I did martial arts for years before, before wrestling. I competed mm-hmm. in nationals and in, in, in karate and, and all that, so I know what a real fight is. Trust me, I've, I've been punched before. You know, so yeah. when you when you step, you know, our our job is to portray a fight. Our our job is to make these people believe what we do is real. Um, I'm a big fan of of spots as well, but like you know, I was taught from the beginning, like yo, put it where it goes. You know what I mean? Like your whole match can't be just about fucking spots everywhere and shit. Um, it's not real. <laughs> it just doesn't. As a fan, as a fan, when you watch it, you know it's not. You know it doesn't stand out. I always say like a fight clean fucking fight yo i'm gonna do this backflip perfect land and do this super perfect kick no like all kinds of shit happens so even in in a wrestling match everything shouldn't be just fucking perfect dirty wrestling is good wrestling if you ever fucking competed mm. in, in in anything dirty wrestling is good wrestling it's because it makes the fans go like oh shit what 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 just happened did he, did he just look legit fucking hit him? Like what? What's that? Like that's what you, that's your job. Your job is to make them think like, yo, is this real or is this like? Yeah. What's uh What's the match that you are proudest of? Maybe not the most spectacular match, but a match where you feel like, I I think we I think we drew some people in. I think we really sucked people into getting into what we were doing because it looked so real or there's something that you did that you feel like really got over with the fans in that way of asking that question like oh my god did that just like did he just hit him or whatever is there an incident that you can remember when you're wrestling in a particular match where you got that feeling that you did that with the crowd yeah uh, there's there's a few of those actually uh i did a i did a little storyline with mike cruz um he's down from florida um, mm-hmm. He used to wrestle over in GCW, and me and him had that mm-hmm. little uh, storyline. And um, we actually, for uh, semi-main, you know, like we for for us being the mid-card guys, we were able to draw people in into our final ladder match, and um, we were able to actually draw to a main event and you know steal the main event. You know what I mean? Like, but there was a there was a there was a spot that we did during intermission where, you know, like I was selling my merchandise, he came over and like just started talking smack or whatever, blah, blah, shove the table, and we got into it. Believe it or not, we fooled the fans. We fooled the wrestlers backstage. The only people that knew anything was going down was the owner and Michael Taylor. That was it. We fooled everybody because Mike Cruz also has a background. You see what I mean? Like, he's an amateur wrestler, and, and you know, he, he did jiu-jitsu or whatever. So it's like we really, like, legit made these people think, like, yo, this is legit. We had a police officer who was a, a part of the wrestling crew, whatever. He came over here and thought, like, this this was, like, legit going down. So it was, like, that, that was one of the one of the things that, like, really stands out to me. Um, mm-hmm. But, but uh, like, my main, like, payoff, I believe, is, like, when I'm at a show and there's, like, a wrestling coach or somebody in the crowd, and then after the match or intermission, they'll come up to me and be like, oh, that double leg was, like, sick, man. Like, where, where did you wrestle? Like, where, you know, like, blah, blah, blah. You know, like, I love those just because, like, you know, real recognize real, man. You know what I'm saying? So, like, when, when a coach or wrestler or whatever comes up to you after the show or, or you know, doing intermission and, and ask questions like that, like, yo, that was, that was slick. That, that was dope. Like, da, 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 da. Like, I like that. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, they, 
that's one of the, certainly one of the things that stood about you when I first saw you. I think I first saw you over on those GCW shows over in Pell City. Um, mm-hmm. That your your stuff looked l- legit. I'm I'm kind of wondering two things. Um, one, the name Spiral, and like how did yeah. how did you come up, did excuse me how did you come up with that? And two, how did you wind up in Atlanta? Because you this is not where you grew up. Tell us about those things. Oh my God, oh, we're gonna be here for a while. <laughs> um, so I came to the states. I, I got here in '97, but I moved to St. Louis. St. Louis is where I first. That was my first experience of America. Um, I was in a war zone uh, from five year to nine, ten, like like that, whatever. Five to nine, I was in a war zone. Um, because Bosnia through 90s was on fire, like old, old Balkan was on fire. Um, and I, I was there. I, I lived on the front line. I, I've seen more things wow. than uh, some people will see in two lifetimes. Mm. Um, I, I just, you know, like I, I, I was one of those people that is blessed that uh, stayed alive and, and made it. And, you know what I mean? Because, you know, I, I went through hell, like, like legit throughout the 90s and, and even coming to America. Because when, when we came to America – there was no special like, oh, here's the job waiting on you. Here's the housing, you know, and all this. Like, we didn't have shit. Like, excuse my language, but like, like we legit didn't have anything. You know what I mean? So we we had to uh, um, grind. You know what I mean? Especially like in '97, like there was no Bosnians on the north side of St. Louis. Like, I, I, we came up in a gutter. You know, um, so like the name the name Spiral is broken down into streets produced an icon, raw and legit. And that's something that I've had, like, be, even before wrestling, because um, I, do, I do music as well. I'm, I'm a rapper, so that's always been, like, my little, I guess, little, little rap name or stage name before. So when I started wrestling, I just stuck with it, honestly. Nice. And, now, you know, the, you know the, whole, the Bosnian War Child thing is, is, like, you know, like I tell people all the time, it's, it's not a gimmick. Like, that's, like, like, I lived it. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that, that is me. Does I think pro wrestling? This is just I'm just guessing, but I think pro wrestling probably hits you differently than it hits most people. Your attraction to it. I mean, for most of the guys in the states, their their song remains the same, right? I liked it when I was a kid. I kind of kept up with it. I always just wanted to do it. And for them, it's more like a, it's like fantasy fulfillment. What what is wrestling for you? Like, what what's the appeal? Why are you continue? Why do you continue to be into it? Because I have a feeling it's a different answer than most guys. I I, I believe it is. <laughs> um, so like, first time I saw wrestling was in like '99, and it was like that show. I don't know if I remember that show, uh, Metal. He came up like Saturday mornings, and it was like it wasn't on cable. It was like one of those uh, Channel Eleven, I believe it was. Um, but that was the first time that I had taste of wrestling. Like I think we were outside, whatever. Because I was like at that time I started karate. Like as soon as I came to the states, like I was like I just wanted to do karate. Like, like that, that was all I wanted to do. Because I thought well, I met Stranger one time, and I was just like that's my shit. <laughs> but yeah, so like when I like I saw the Hardy Boys uh, versus Edge and Christian, right? And like to me, that like like it glued me in, and and, and like I, I started watching, it and it, it it was like, like they were telling a story because like even later when I was watching WCW, 
and all the luchadors or whatever, like, nothing made sense. These guys are just jumping in the ring and just, just jumping for no reason. Yeah. You know, but, but, like, when I watched the Hardys and Edge of Christian, like, there was actual story why the guy, you know, jumped from the outside, you know, on the outside onto somebody or, or took all three guys down. Like, okay, so that's a fighting spirit. They're, 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 they're fighting. He's going to put his whole body in the line, just blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? Like, they, 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 they were actually telling the story compared to the other guys. So definitely, like, the Hardys and Edge and Christian, that was, like, my first taste in wrestling. And also, you know, then being the underdogs, I was underdog my whole life, so I can I can relate to that right away as a kid, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but even then, like, you know, like, I watched it, you know, da-da-da, and then it, it took me still a little while to, like, really, really get into it, you know what I mean? Um, because I was doing martial Yeah. Um, but, but then, uh, like, 2000... 2000, I think, I think it was like really, really got like heavy into it. 2001, just like big fan of the and and, and so on, you know. Because um, like they're the ones that like it stood out to me. The Hardys, Edge and Christian, Chris Benoit, uh, Eddie Guerrero, um, even RVD. Even though I think his kicks are lazy as hell, but besides the point. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean I, I, I love the guy. I respect him, obviously. You know what I mean? But like I'm, you know. I just believe, like, you know, certain kicks should be pulled a certain way. That's all. Absolutely. But, yeah, that, 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 that's, a, that, that's a quick breakdown. So did you then move to Atlanta to train, or were you here already? No, no, no. So I, gra- I graduated high school in St. Louis in 05, I believe. And then, like, um, by then – I was out in the streets because I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, you know, I didn't come up in a good area. Like uh, I, I had it pretty hard, you know, even through high school, or whatever. So like I, I lived in a bad area, and um, I got into it a lot. You know, I, I, there was there was a whole lot going on. So uh, my brother was already in Atlanta, so he basically was like, "Hey, why don't you come down here and get away from all that drama and all that nonsense?" Da da da. da. Mm-hmm. So I pretty much just gave everything up and we just like just moved to Atlanta like not knowing anybody or anything just my brother and that's it like I just came down and just started fresh you know and then uh by then I kind of gave up on wrestling like you know I, I really wasn't even watching it that much um but then I heard like I like that like one 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 night I was watching Raw or whatever I was like man I can do that like that's not like there's no way that I can't do that you know and I, it was always back in my mind like yo I should really try that you know and then uh, I, I looked up some schools in Atlanta or whatever. I think uh, WA4 was one of them. And um, I, w- I actually went to check them out, but I couldn't find them at first because, like, I didn't know they were in behind a, a strip club or whatever. So, like, it, it was a little weird. <laughs> not, I heard that. Not, I mean, not, not, you know, don't get, don't get it wrong. Like, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not dissing on the guys. I'm, I'm just telling you, like, what really happened with me. You know what I mean? Oh, no. I used to, I used oh. to run that school, so I know. <laughs> Believe it. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay okay so like you know then finally when i showed up you know it was weird too because like i just like i, I got there there was no real customer service or anything it was just weird like i, I just got there nobody's talking to you everybody's doing their own thing like whatever i was sitting there for like 15 minutes by the time somebody came up to me and then when they came up to me they gave me this crazy amount of money to pay or whatever i was like nah this ain't for me man yeah and then a little later you know a little later I found Bill DeMott was opening a school, New Energy Wrestling, down in McDonough. Then I was like, well, shit, I've seen him on TV. Like, I know he's about his shit. So I went and checked him out, and me and him just clicked right away. I signed up, and, I, you know, I trained with him for like a year, year and a half. And that's pretty much where, you know, where I started. But 
I'm going to put this out there just because I see this happening a lot in wrestling. I never rushed to get in the ring. I never rushed to, to jump and have my first match. Every trainer that I was with, I always said, hey, you tell me when I'm ready because I don't want to go in that ring and look like Boo the Fool not knowing my shit. Like, when I go, go have my first match, I want my shit to be on point. Like, I wasn't just rushing, just like, oh, shit, yeah, I know I, know I had to do a, a headlock takeover and, 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 and lazy-ass punch, so, like, I'll just go have a match. I don't believe in that. I, I believe you need to train, get good, then get your ass out there and start making a name for yourself. So how long was it for you from the point of time starting training to having the first official match? I think I think like almost uh, – so when I was with Bill, he wanted me to do a match like maybe six months in, seven months in. And like I kept turning it down. I'm like, no, I, don't, like, I, 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 I didn't feel like I was ready. But then he's like, well, what, what if we put a match together here with, with, with another trainee, and then, like, when we go to a certain show, we'll just do that match? I'm like, all right, fuck it. You know, let, let, let's try it. I think, I think that's a good idea. At least I'm not going to look stupid out there, you know? So I did, like, two of those, but I don't call those, like, my first matches because, mm-hmm. like, that's with somebody from my school. Like, that's not, you know, meeting somebody that comes from Florida. You meet them the first time, and then you put a match together in 10 minutes, and you go out there and you deliver. You know, mm-hmm. that, that's your first match. Um, so, yeah, when I, I, I had like two or three with Bill that were just pre-planned, whatever. And then my first match was against Orion Bishop in GCW. Oh, wow. And that was, oh, yeah, cool. that was like a year, a year and a half, almost two years in. Mm. And like that, you know, like, and I was grateful to also wrestle Bishop, you know what I mean? Because like we went out there and we, we had a pretty good match. And me not knowing, like still being fresh in the business, like not really knowing what the hell is what, you know, like we still had a pretty good match that, you know, it was believable. Yeah. So shifting gears real quick, Spiral. Um, so I don't, I'm not that familiar with you. I am curious though, like, you know, you had this, good run in anarchy but then it just seemed to kind of end um and it's it's been like that for you at least by my by my eyes when i like read reports and stuff it seems like you have like these good runs and then they just end and then you're not in a promotion anymore is there some kind of like static that happens or do you just get bored and want to move on like what happened in anarchy if you don't mind talking about it and if you don't want to talk about something of course whatever you feel comfortable with but i'm just curious because oh, sure. it seems like yeah, like, it just seems like, what happened? Because I was like, man, it seemed like you were about to to really I, I, get something I, going, and then it just kind of ended. Or is that, am I seeing that wrong? No, 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 you're right. Like, well, for Anarchy, you're right. But that's only yeah. happened in Anarchy, nowhere else. In oh, okay. GCW, I was, I, was, I was with GCW for straight seven years. Like, yeah. I helped, yeah, yeah. helped built GCW. And that was, you know, Mad Dog Dan Sawyer. He kept he kept us busy, so I really didn't have to wrestle in Georgia or anywhere else, honestly, because he kept us busy. You know what I mean? Like there was times where we wrestled Friday night, Saturday, and Sunday. You know what I mean? So like I, I you know, I definitely built my name in GCW. Obviously, I did other promotions as well, and I went to Japan, you know, and and, and all that. Um, with Anarchy, I got nothing but love for everybody. Don't get it twisted. Um, I will show you respect. I don't care if you're three years old or if you're 300 years old. Like, I will, I will give you that respect as soon as I see you. But don't step to me wrong. You step to me wrong, then you're going to see the street side, the, the, the not, not so good side. 
um, with Anarchy, like, I, I was happy to be there. Like, I really didn't care. Like, when I, when I went back, like, because I took, like, two years off from wrestling. Basically, to recoup, I was in a lot of pain as well. And, I, like, I just, needed, I just needed to get away. Just, I was, I, you know, and I started doing my music, whatever, for those two years. And, you know, so when I came back and started with Anarchy, that, like, I was, I, I was pretty much fresh back. Because I, I, I did a few shows for Larry Otto here and there. Um, and then pretty much Anarchy. And when I started with Anarchy, like, I, I, I didn't care if I showed up first night and they fucking, you know, jobbed me out. Like, it didn't really matter, you know what I mean? Like, I just wanted to work. Um, but they, like, kept let, letting me, you know, win, win, win. And now I have this undefeated streak, right? So if you have an undefeated streak, that means we're going somewhere with it. And I believe it, there, there's a certain pace. I had a different belief where things should go and how things should be done. I had a understanding where I wanted to go. Because, like, it's not about winning or losing. Come on, bro. <laughs> indeed. It's not indeed. about well, fucking winning or losing. I, I, I don't care. But, they think, like, it, it was just weird, to be honest with you. Like, I, that, that was just a weird run with anarchy. The, the thing I didn't understand about it was that clearly from the times I saw you there, you were one of the most popular wrestlers on the show. That just based on crowd reaction. You were over. So that was the part that puzzled me is why someone who was getting that kind of response from the crowd, why it didn't wind up really going anywhere. Um, so when you when you saw me, that was probably like my second show there. Like probably like because like, I, I, like, I didn't wrestle forever in Anarchy. Like I only, I only had like five, six matches there. Yeah. My second match, I had, I, had, I had the people behind me right away. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I agree with you. Like they, 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 they got behind me, and like we were onto something, you know. And and I believe we could have went somewhere with it and built somebody else off me. You you see what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. but they wanted they wanted me to, they wanted me to lose. Okay, so to, to, they, they wanted me to lose to Colford, right? Fine. Like I don't I don't care who I'm losing lo- losing to. But if it doesn't make sense, it doesn't make sense. How's Colford gonna have a match against me one on one? No dirty tricks, no nothing. He's gonna beat me. That doesn't make sense. Like just as a fan watching it, just as a fan watching the the crispness of moves and and how a person moves, like it's it doesn't make sense. Now, yeah, if it we doesn't add make sense tricks, for culprit either, right? I mean, like that's not culprit's deal at all, right? Like culprit's deal is he'll do you dirty, right? That's his exactly. Exactly. Let's use the umbrella. Let's use this. Let's use that. Like we we can do other things, and and yeah. and he'll still be strong. Like he's he's still gonna be strong. Like you know what I'm saying. Like it's still like, but like just to have one on one, like we wrestle. Like it it doesn't make sense to me. You know what I mean? So that's where we bump heads. As soon as we bump heads, as soon as I started asking me questions where my character was going, they were pretty much like bye. <laughs> you know what I mean? Which is cool. You know what I mean? Like again, no hard feelings. You know, nobody, whatever. You know, I just don't want people to be running their mouth, talking about I'm hard to work with. Like, nah, bro, I, I come to you. you and I ask you what you want from me at your show. I do that with every promoter. I go to a promoter, what do you need from me? Baby, heel, job, whatever. Like, what you need? Like, I'm the professional, I come to you, what you need from me? Be a professional back and tell me what you want. Don't tell me that, oh, you're wrestling tonight, so you should be happy. Nah, homie, I don't need that. Like, I can, I can be home, <laughs> save my body. I love it. I love it. I'm th- You're right. I'm 34 years, You're right. I'm 34 years old, man. Like, what, what do you think? I'm going to be 45 and not be able to walk? Like, nah, gee, like, I'm good. Like, I do matches that make sense for me. And the story, I'm not, like, I'm not, I'm not one of those young motherfuckers that are going to go jump off buildings and, and, and all this for what? 
Like, for, I, I worked for free. I worked for $5 in a hot dog. I worked for 20 bucks. I, I, I've done all that. You know what I mean? Like, so, like, at least give me, just give me, like, a little bit of my respect that I've earned. You know? I hear you. Larry, do you have a final question? Yeah, did you like – I have two final questions. One, did you like the match with Buchanan at Victory, and where do you go – where does Spiral go from here in wrestling? I loved the match with Ben. Man, that was that, – like, that was the first time we locked up, first time. Um, and and I, I loved it. It was so smooth and, and easy because he's not a spot guy, so we can just wrestle and tell a good story. And add add my little spot here and there, whatever, and then woo, wow, it was great. You know what I mean? Just just because of, like the the belief of a good hold, a belief of good role, and da da da. da you know what I mean? Like just the way you're supposed to move around the ring, and and obviously Ben has that. He's a freaking amateur wrestler, he's a beast. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I had a blast with that kid, man, and he he has a bright future ahead of him. Like he he he's he's going places for sure. For me, I don't. Right now, I'm with Victory, and I'm probably gonna stay with Victory for 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 a little bit. Um, because we got we got things going on over there right now, so I'm probably gonna be with them for the next few months, if not a little longer. Um, and I I really don't know, man. What, whatever comes my way that makes sense, I'll do it, you know. But yeah, for me yeah. to, you know, for me to go to do, you know, like other shows that doesn't make sense, it's just kind of like, you know, like I really gotta like look out for myself and not to be you know, shady or greedy, or whatever. It's just like, bro, like I gotta hold on to my body, like, like you know what I mean, like. Every bump counts, man. Every bump is like a car, a small car accident. Like you gotta remember that. Like years yeah. later down the line, you you gonna be you gonna be thinking like, oh man, why did I take that backdrop on the floor? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well. Dude, I love it. I I just gotta say, it's you know, it's a treat to see someone with your skill level in the ring, and I hope that there's places where your artistry can be appreciated. Because um, yeah, you really, you really, you've got something special. Thank you, man. I I, I appreciate you guys, uh, and I appreciate you guys. You know, watching my matches. You know, what I'm saying like I, I mean, because you don't have to be. You know, what I mean, you don't have to do that. You know what I mean? So like, I I really do appreciate you guys doing that. And 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 I mean, like like I said, I, I've been grinding, man. I've, I've been working my ass off. Like the training for wrestling has never stopped for me. Even like even now, like I train every Sunday. Like I I, I go to a training center, and it, you you can always learn something, you know. Um, and I, I I believe that's how you your craft. If you stay on it, you keep training, you keep doing, you know what I mean? Like you keep working at it, not just oh I go to the gym and then be a weekend warrior or whatever. Like no, nah. you always gotta work with your craft. Craft period. Well, I can just say uh, I'm a fucking fan, dude. Um, you know, I liked your work, but after talking to you, I'm a fucking fan. Um, you're gonna, you're gonna get uh, leagues are gonna reach out to you. <laughs> I'll just tell you that much. Um, I'm, they're gonna reach out to you, and you pick and choose what you want to do, and you got a good head on your shoulders. And um, there's an air of le- Larry. Would you agree with this? There's an air of legitimacy about him. That Absolutely. I think it's something that you can't you can't manufacture that. Nope. And I think um I, I think when people hear you here, I know you're probably a little nervous about like, you know, oh I have an accent. Dude, <laughs> you sound like a straight fucking badass. <laughs> Let me assure you, you have nothing to fucking worry about. Okay, you sound like a fucking straight badass. So Good shit, man. I appreciate you coming on. Larry's wanted to do this for quite some time, so I'm glad we finally got to knock it out. 
And you're certainly welcome to come back whenever you want if you got something big to promote. Please do. Oh, Thanks yeah, a lot, man. man. I, appreciate, I appreciate you guys. Thank you very much. Yeah, you're man. Welcome. Have a good one. All right. You too, guys. Oh, Larry, what would I have done with that motherfucker? Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. oh. Yeah. <laughs> I'd have had him and motherfucking Shane Marks ripping up the world, man. Oh. Yeah. It would have been great. Now, there's a match I'd like to see. Spiral and Shane oh. Marks. Yeah. Oh. Bring it on. I would have had, Bring it on. I would have had Jeff mouthpiece for that motherfucker, too. Oh, Jeff talking about some Bosnian shit. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, real shit too, not manufactured shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When Jeff, when I start, when I tell Jeff, Jeff is gonna listen to this show. When I tell him, oh yeah, that guy was fucking really in Bosnia, fucking dealing with shit. Jeff's gonna be like, oh well, goddamn. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, speaking of goddamn, we need to fucking get Southern Fried on here. We need Let's- to have Todd talk about some shit. Let's get the mentor of the year on the line here. Oh, Let's get him on the air. Rub it in my face, please. <laughs> Mr. Todd Sexton, welcome to the show. Hello, gentlemen. How are y'all doing? Good, man. Good, good, good. How are you doing? Now we got a show to talk about. How are you doing and feeling about it? You're fucking stressed, man. We <laughs> <laughs> all came together yesterday, man. The announcement was made literally a couple of hours after the deal was sealed. Um, so jumping right into it. So the last uh, day and a half, man, it's, I've been coasting, having fun, you know, helping from the sidelines, and now I got to jump right back into it. So it's been my vacation was over. Did you have an indication that things were likely? Like when did you know? that there was a high probability that you guys were going to have a venue and all that kind of stuff. When, when were you in the loop? 3.15 yesterday afternoon. When <laughs> no the deal was way. done. No way. It was that, and it wasn't the fact that the deal was being worked on. It just happened like that. It was a phone call made. And it all came together yesterday like that. He was uh, buildings were being looked at, uh, flirts here and there, little teases here and there, but nothing came through. And that all, David did the video last night, and that was just a couple hours after everything was um, done. Mm. So, so luckily, I mean, I got ideas of what I'm going to do and stuff, but at the same time, it's like, everybody's like, what are we going to do? It's like, give me a second to fucking breathe, guys. You know, we'll get through this. And you're going to come back back-to-back weeks, is that right? That is incorrect. I sent you the wrong dates, Larry. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, yeah, it's going to be, we're going we're gonna to resume our usual schedule of first and third Saturday gotcha. each month. Okay. So, um, the so, yeah, we're jumping back into the two-a-month deal um, every month at and our old residence. So is the building – what's the setup going to be as far as uh, restriction or or lack thereof on size of, of crowd? Uh, we're, we're working that out now. We do um, – we've um, – 
we are going to do social. It's a, it's a big enough place we can do some social distancing and stuff. Um, I, I think things will be like I said. This has only been, yeah, uh, you know, <laughs> you know, a day, Larry. You're like one of the boys firing off a hundred questions at me. Um, and um, you know, we're figuring out as we go and stuff, and you know, get details. I was gonna try to find out some stuff like that tonight, but I'm gonna call you guys. And by the time I'm done with this, I want to get off the phone. Um, but, um, you know, we only put a limited number of, uh, front row, uh, and we've already sold that out. Um, uh, so we're going to try to do what we can to keep it safe in there and everything is, uh, best we can. Okay. So there you go. So Southern Fried Homecoming, March 6th, and more announcements will be forthcoming regarding, um, that show and the following shows. So, excellent. Well, um, let's talk a little bit about these. Uh, your your view on some of the value of watching uh, classic old matches, like you know the ones the one Steve's been putting up lately. And uh, as a as a teacher yourself, what you know, share some of your thoughts on on, on those things. Um. And I think I talked to you about this yesterday, Larry, and I've mentioned this to Steve because I, I t- messaged him. <laughs> Full disclosure here. See what I did there? Um, so I get back from the Anarchy show. Kelly goes to bed because it's late. I flip on, and I see Steve's got this video posted of him watching along the Ivan Koloff and Bruno San Martino match. And I was like, huh. And so I played it, and it was awesome because Steve is teaching – the same things that I do at trainings and stuff and um, and being able to do it on a broader level where, you know, you can explain things that guys just don't understand. Um, and I'll use this as an example from the uh, Koloff-San Martino match where, and it's something I've taught where the baby face fights out of the hold unless yeah. he can't, the heel goes to the ropes without a thought. You know, simple stuff like that. And I watched the uh, the I haven't watched the uh, the Butch Reed Magnum TA video yet, but I watched the um yesterday I watched the uh, Jack Briscoe Harley Race, and just the beginning where Race backs into the corner. Yeah. If you don't yeah. know what's going on, if you don't know the characters, if you're going into this cold, you know that that man is a heel because he is yeah. backing up from the fight. So it's just that kind of stuff. And, and Steve, you use words that I use too. Um, it's funny because it's when you're in teacher mode, it's so different from crazy Steve in platinum mode sometimes. And it's cool seeing that side of you um, in one of your videos. And you probably did it in the other, the indie, uh, the other matches you've covered, but I watch enough matches that guys send me and stuff that. You know, you can only watch so much. Um, and uh, but you know, when you words like urgency, frustration, uh, anxiety, we try to teach the guys as how to um, how to act at certain moments in a match. Yeah, I, you know, and that's the thing is you watch you don't watch those old matches for the moves. I mean, the story presentation. Um, like I try to teach guys. You should be able to go out there, not say a word to the crowd, and through your movements convince them that you're the heel. You know, Todd, with that 
makes me think of is that those matches that were shown, all of them took place in the area where there was no music coming to the ring. Mm-hmm. And guys had to come out. That walk from the through the curtain to the ring to establish who you were, all based on the way you, you know, carried yourself and looked at people, you know, that's, it was such a different, it, it was a different, such a different thing to see the way guys were able to use that, which, you know, now it's just, it's not, obviously it's a completely different thing in that way, but all those, all those matches came from that time period. Yes. I mean, and that it's, it's, you know, it, it's so simple, but yet it's such a higher form of art form, if that yeah. makes sense. Yes. You know, com- compared to what we – now, the, you know, the style is more athletic, and guys are doing stuff that was unfathomable, if I said that correctly. It, it, but you compare uh, – for instance, okay, I had um, – without saying names, I had somebody who had a, uh, a great TV match recently, and he told me that everybody's telling me the match was great, but I thought it was just basic. It's because nobody learns the basics, and they're going out there flip-flopping and flying to try to get the ooh-nah stuff. So when somebody does a match that's good and the basics are all good, people know when it's right. They just don't know why, and I think you've mm-hmm. used that phrase, um, and we've all three used that phrase before. You don't know what it's – you don't know what it is, but you know it's right, and it's just you know with the – the way Steve goes about on those videos as far as – and I'm not kissing his ass, and he knows that. Um, um, it just makes me happy and proud that that's out there because I know he has a lot of guys that go to him for advice. And it's also good to see – it's always good to see like, hey, we're preaching the same thing here as far yeah. as what these, what these matches can offer and the things to learn from them and the things to use from them. Of the simplicity of it, uh, you know, Jack working out from that front face lock from Harley, and the crowd just coming up, and then Harley shuts them back down. You know, it's a case of you know, you know, don't let the crowd call your match. You know, it's like you know, you tell them the story, you know, you you make them want it, and then you give it to them when the time is right. I, I think a lot of the problems with modern pro wrestling, and I, I thought of this as Todd was speaking, and it made me think of this. The difference between wrestling, um, when, of, of the matches I've tended to look at recently and now, is, you know, we talked about music and all this other stuff, but it, those are all symptoms of this basic problem. Nowadays, wrestling is afraid to work without safety nets. And back then, they didn't have safety nets. So they didn't have an artificial way to create an emotional response, which is what music is. They didn't, they weren't, they would just go into, I mean, I've watched the Andersons against the Rock and Roll Express and fucking rock, Ricky Morton took heat for half an hour, half a fucking hour. That guy's getting beat down and reaching for the corner and then, Oh, he's almost got, he's got the tag, but the referee didn't see it. They did that bullshit when I looked at the clock for half an hour. They, no one would even attempt it because they would have a million excuses, all their safety nets, right? Crowd wouldn't be okay with it. But, but, the, but the simple fact is we don't know that. And so the guys haven't developed the skills that you develop when your life is on the line, when you don't have a safety net, 
right? They don't have to because they know, all right, well, here I'm going to go into my five moves of doom, and that always gets a pretty decent reaction. But a pretty decent reaction is not the same as a heat reaction. But guys are – so the excuse is that we hear all the time, there's no faces and heels, right? That's just bullshit. That's just guys not wanting to fail at one or the other. And I feel like guys just have to work without a safety net. <laughs> and, and promotions have to be okay with the fact that sometimes things are going to stink it up in a way that you can't even imagine. If you remove all the safety nets, someone's going to fall and die. That is going to happen. But you're also going to get like a, like, a, like a genuine emotional reaction in a way that I don't know if we've seen in a very long time. Now, there's pockets here and there, I'm sure. And Todd could point to, to, to shows he's been at where it's like, or he's been in charge of where he's like, this I felt really worked. But, man, I just, I do long for a day where guys were forced to get that reaction on a slow burn in the course of a match instead of, and then so-and-so will do a run-in, <laughs> and, and then blah, blah, blah. I mean, Raw is – I can't watch it, right? Like, I do, but it's like that show is nothing but safety nets. It's DQs, and it's run-ins, and it's all matches with every bit of the slow part taken out. And yeah. what you get is a show that has no chance of eliciting greatness and transcendence and art. You just get a show that is, it's rote. It's just rote stuff, Pavlovian, press the button, here's a reaction, you know. Well, it's like, um, let's say, it's like NSYNC uh, versus Nevermind by Nirvana. And, you know, it's paint by numbers, pop, you know it's going to work. No emotion in it. No, you know, no, you know, no thought. No, let's try to do this and just, you know, it's bland and you know it'll get the job done somewhat, but it's really not going to stand the test of time. As someone who's not obviously not a teacher who sits in who sits in the audience, one of the things that that I notice a lot of is that there's it seems to me. There's a lot of focus on from guys about what they're going to do and not making sure that what they do makes sense and that what they do mm-hmm. looks good. Like that Butch Reed match, uh, Butch and, and Magnum, really, that really stood out, how they did less, but everything they did looked good. Not what I see a lot of is one thing looks good, then the next thing, eh. Then something looks good, then eh. Um you know, like a lack of like editing, um, so to speak. Yeah, trim the fat. I mean, guys are wanting to try this, that, or the other, and you know, not doing like like I, one of the things I say. You never see Ric Flair throw a drop kick, right? Because he probably threw a pretty shitty drop kick. So you stay away from what you can't do and go with what you can do, and you know. It's you know a case of guys working towards the spots versus telling a story and letting it breathe and acting is reacting and you know trying to get that general emotion like Steve talked about, which is one thing I 
I pride on my, you know, the angle we did um, and continue, we'll continue to do, as we'll see, um, the stuff with me and David, it was hatred and heat, which was just, you know, was awesome because it was, it's still possible. It can still happen. And, Absolutely. you know, versus generic, generic pop because, oh, he won. Yay. Okay. What's next? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, looking at the old matches, I mean, it really started because I've gotten into doing them, right? And I'm doing a lot of modern matches because the guys want me to look at their shit and whatever. And that's great. But I saw, you know, oh, 50th anniversary, you know, 50th anniversary of Bruno and and um, Koloff. And it made me realize, like, when's the last time I saw that fucking match? And then I realized, like, yeah. I don't know. If, I mean, let me just look. And it was thrilling for me because everything was bigger and better than I remembered. <laughs> I just went, look at the size of these fucking guys. I was telling Larry, like, that Butch Reed, Magnum TA, those two guys alone are bigger than almost all of the guys on the indie level. Yeah. And then you have Ernie Ladd's old ass. And then Grizzly Smith comes out there to render a decision. And the two of them dwarf Butch Reed and Magnum TA. (laughs) I'm just like, Jesus Christ. And uh, I don't know, you know, we have another anniversary show. It's the, I forget what it is. It's like the 27th anniversary or the 28th anniversary of Hogan beating Iron Sheik. So I'm going to look at that one next, which will be, it'll probably be way less quote unquote modern than I think it is in my head. Like in my head. It will be. I mean, yeah. yeah. In your head, you think it's the current genre, but the business has changed so much since then. It's going to be, it's almost a template when you look back probably to, what the WWF did in eighties and looking mm-hmm. back at it, that's probably where it began as far as the match style goes because it yeah. suited Hogan. So that will be interesting to, to see that. For sure. He, even looking and at also, the butcher. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead Todd. I was going to say, uh, you know, uh, I, I, and I think I text Steve this after I watched the, um, the Florida match with Briscoe and race. There's a, an episode, which is a probably the only full match from that era of Dory Funk and Jack Briscoe on those Florida yeah. videos, where it's like I think f- close to 40 minutes, so it's almost it's 20 minutes less than the complete hour that they did with Briscoe and Sully doing the commentary along with um, I can't remember the who was the other guy's name who did the commentary. He was the wrestling coach, the amateur wrestling coach from that era. I can't remember his name off the top of my head, <laughs> but they used him for credibility purposes and explaining moves, um, and yeah. it's tremendous. It's just absolutely, you know, that'd be. I mean, it's a long one to do, but you just did a fifty-minute one though for Butch and Magnum. But I think that'd be a good one to do for the guys who claim they love scientific wrestling and stuff, and see what we knew as scientific wrestling. You know, because. They did that, and people think, oh, that's the style. No, that wasn't the style. That was the exception to the rule, which is why it worked, is they went out there in a contest, which was probably visually closer to a technical UFC fight than it would be a uh, modern pro wrestling match. 
Yeah. And, and, you know, you made the point, that point, Steve, about they're doing all that mat stuff, and but there's no rest holds. They're working the the whole time. It's a completely different yes. animal. In yeah, fact, and that's be... one thing I've tried to coach <laughs> is that, you know, you, when you're in the hold, you, you should be working that hold. You should be looking like you're putting pressure on that hold, you know, and that, that comes from conditioning and cardio. And the concept that the natural thing to do then was you would work the hold and then break the person down if you could and do the logical thing, not just go out and do a different move. Don't break the damn hold. If it's, <laughs> it, that's one of my pet peeves. You got the hold on the guy. He's down, and guys just release it. I'm just like, you are kidding me because it's like <laughs> in, a, in a real fight, you got him down. You're you the hold's working. You're gonna put him out unless he gets out of it. Don't just release it. That's one of those trends I start. I hope starts going the other way. Absolutely, is yeah. Holds being taken very seriously because of UFC and that kind of thing. The other trend I would love the other general trend I would love to see go the other way is pinning predicaments used as setups for moves. Instead of trying to get oh. the pin, so guys, the guys cool rolling boy. guys oh up, God. but but just so they roll through and they can kick them in the face, yeah. or doing a sunset flip just face. so they can roll through, or a cross body, or a splash done for damage sake, and then they get off of them mm. because it's just like, well, yeah. it's not going to get the pin. So like, I I want to see pins become pins again. I I mean I popped huge on Raw when. You know, Mustafa Ali, like, people are like, how can you watch that shit, right? And at this stage, I just use, I mean, it's the, it's the great teaching tool because it's unfortunately where, as the WWE goes, it tends to trend in the indies, and they tend to book in the same way, whether they realize it yeah. or not. So my attempt yeah. is to go like, look, this is shit. Don't do this thing that they're doing. And, but, I mean, you know, Xavier Woods fucking Austin Watson, right? He gets he gets rolled mm-hmm. up by Mustafa Ali by the dreaded fucking schoolboy, but then shifts his weight and gets him in this crucifix pin thing and beats him. And it was so subtle and it was so great because it played on our expectations of what we've seen too many times and actually beat him with a wrestling hold. It was thrilling. It shouldn't be that thrilling, <laughs> but it was. And, um, you know, it was a great job and, it, and a great just, like, we don't have to do a fucking thing, you know? Like, we can just we can just do a pin that works and looks like it would be very hard to escape from. And so he did, and it worked. Yeah. And I thought, we need more of that. We need well, less give you crucifix bombs. Yes, yes, another pet peeve, please. Picking the guy up when he's on the mat. I had to explain to somebody. He's like, I'll do this, and then I'll I'll pick you up. And I was like, why? So I can give you this. (laughs) If I'm on the mat, why aren't you pinning? Where do you win the match? On the mat. Why pick me up? Let me get up. Let me work my way up. You, you know, it's, you know, you know, guys like, oh, boom, hit the move. Pick him right back up. Give him another move. If the guy's not getting up, then pin him. You know, I mean, it's and then you and you tell the guy, feet up, get up, don't just pick him up because that makes you look like a dumbass. 
Yeah, my new thing is the biggest discrepancy I've noticed between old matches and the modern matches I look at is in the modern match, when guys kick out of a pin, the match comes to a screeching halt. Um, oh, guys you got to get out. the big, oh, my God, sell. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, he kicked out. I, was, I had that conversation the other week. Ref, was that, th- that was three, ref. No, it was two. Like, why are we having this conversation? <laughs> like, nobody does that in combat sports, right? Like, they don't. No, no, you know, uh, it's never yeah. stop. Like, you should stop this match, ref. It's, well, fuck, I'm just going to hammer fist this motherfucker until you stop it, right? Because everything yeah. is win, 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 kill, kill, kill in a real fight. And um, the the old guys had that mentality where it's like, okay, you kicked out of the pin. The guys nowadays, I think, use it as a like a – I think that there are – I'm going to write about this, I think – there are contracts, unspoken contracts being signed by wrestlers with each other when they have a match. And I think we need to rip those contracts up. <laughs> and I think the unspoken contract is, well, let's make this as easy on ourselves as we can. And I'm all about guys having, um, I don't want them freaked out or overworked in the ring, but at the same time, I don't want this tacit agreement that we're going to have spots in this match where we're going to do nothing. I think that mm-hmm. that needs to die. And, and boxing went through this. There was at one point, it's not so much the case anymore, but there was this sort of unspoken agreement of we're going to carry each other through a few rounds. Um, it, it takes place in like Thailand kickboxing because they get paid per round. So there's, and gamblers gamble on each round. So there's this sort of unspoken agreement of this isn't fake, but at the same time, we're not trying to beat each other in the first two or three rounds. And, you know, those kind of things are bad. Like pro wrestling cannot afford, especially if they're doing an eight-minute television match or shorter, why are you dying and killing the momentum of your match? We just, there just needs to be a flow that I would love to return. And I love that the old guys can – you know, people make fun of these old matches. Shit, they are way more engaging with way less just because they? they're, they're, they're always working. They're always yeah. working. Everything. So, Steve, one of the points you made in the uh, Butch Reed Magnum about earning land on the outside – looking like he's going to interfere, looming like he's going to interfere, but that he doesn't, and how that built tension and brought the crowd into the match, and now it's like kind of an automated thing. Oh, ref turns his back, time for me to interfere if I'm on the outside. If you remember in the Griff-Corey match, I would, when I was at ringside, I would do that. I would walk over to Griff and get caught until uh, ref yeah, returned yeah, yeah. because that is that is more – and he's like, hit me. I'm like, nope. Because that takes that all, – all of a sudden, it's like, boom, away. But you build up that anticipation. I remember I had a talk with a very good female valet once. And it's like, you notice how you walked over to him, and the crowd was like, ooh. And then you he did something, and the heat died. Like, yeah, I was like, he should have turned around because, A, it gives him a hope spot. All he had to do was turn around. There's a hope spot. You know, hope spot is not duck this, duck that. Let me give you some sunset flip, hit you with this, then cut me off. It's just showing – you're still in the fight. And 
it's the, the, those kind of things you talked about. You know, looking like you're going to do something and remaining active at ringside, and being and selling what is happening to your guy, whether it's a, you're on the apron in the tag team match, instead of just waiting for your spot, or if you're just on a manager out there and just watching until you know your spot. You know. Absolutely. Oh, real quick, and I'll go back to, and I know you got to go here probably. Yeah, please, um, please. Yeah, there was a, and because we get talking about this stuff, I get going. Uh, recently, there was a gimmick match I helped with, and they want, it was a cage, and they wanted to use this and this and this, and it occurred to me afterwards, it's a whole system of guys who've grown up on the Hell in the Cell matches with no blood where they have to use all those gimmicks inside a cage match. As Cornette yeah. says, a hat on a hat. You know, it's like you have the cage, that's your gimmick. You don't need any other gimmicks. Like I had uh, a couple of guys, two great workers who were doing an Ironman match, and this was years ago, were like, can we go to a draw and then do – I was like, well, it's the first time we're doing an Ironman match in years. Um, let's get the Ironman match over, and then the next time we do one, there could be a draw. I mean, you know, you're doing the gimmick match, so let's get the gimmick over before you start modifying with the gimmick. So there's um, the whole, you know, the whole generation of guys have grown up with all the gimmicks being so watered down and so much more into them where they don't mean what they once did. Where it was, you know, just the cage itself was a big deal. So there, absolutely, Larry. What did, what did you want to say? Uh, I think I said most of the things I wanted to say on this topic that came to, came into my mind. Oh, one more, one more. No, one other thing. The um, race Briscoe match, where they're in the ring and race has the robe on and then opens the robe to reveal the world yes. heavyweight championship. Um. It was, you know, it had, it, it was, it was dramatic, and I thought, yeah, you just don't see anything like that anymore. Where they, where he just that, that reveal of the world title was a big thing, and that to do it you in know, that I way. Had, and I had a conversation with a champion about that, who had a jacket and stuff. I was like, and I told him that's what you need, you know, not using that as an example, but I'm glad you put that on there, and you mentioned it because obviously we we all noticed it too. Is that you, you just do that once they announce say, the heavyweight champion, then you show the rope. Then you uh, you know, open it up and show the belt. Yeah. The title. Excuse me. Um, yes, yeah, the title. But, <laughs> yes. Um, so, I mean, it was, and like you said, the simplicity of it. But it it was a big deal, just showing off the belt. What I thought was hilarious, too, was Race's robe. Because we think of these older guys as like being dinosaurs, but Harley Race's whole look is very much steeped in the modern take of that era, right? Yeah, his exactly. Hair, that's how he would look. His hair, that fucking ridiculous color scheme for the robe where it's like left hand <laughs> blue, right hand red. Um, boy, maybe he knew more about politics than in the modern age than we did. But like, yeah. you, know, you know, like, I mean, it was so 70s, right? Yeah. And, I mean, these guys were, 
the movers and shakers and tastemakers of the era. That's something else that is unfortunately painfully lost. Whereas I think guys are so focused on their brand that they're forgetting that it's, it's not about your brand as much as it is about connecting with an audience. And I think those two things don't have to be different, but right now they really are. It's like, I'm going to impose what I want to do and make everybody else want it too, as opposed to how can I capture a zeitgeist and connect with an audience as well? I think if you look at the guys who are huge stars in the last 20 or 30 years, they're all guys who figured out that something worked and then fucking pressed that button a hundred fucking times, right? Like Stone Cold figured something out and just went, he didn't go, well, I am from Texas and I really prefer this kind of music. And I, you know, I was like, my brand is going to be, I mean, Jesus Christ, right? Like, no fucker, you're fucking, you're this. And then he embraced and what he embraced it. And just fuck it. I'm the Texas rattlesnake. What about you, the rattlesnake? Fuck you. That's what. <laughs> you know, it's yeah, like great. <laughs> you know, great. And the rock and, and everybody else, for that matter, um, really did work with, they took what the defense gave them. And it's like, the audience likes this. That's the direction I'm going to go. I can still put my spin on shit, but. It's not about my brand. It's about the fucking what's going to sell. And they make it work. So the guys need to pay attention to that as well. Yeah, and let's, let's, let's be clear. We're not really just taking a dump on all modern wrestling. Um, to, well, maybe we are a little bit. But at the same time, we're not. So we just want everybody to be better. Yeah. Yeah, I just keep thinking there's – Things to extract from these older matches that can that are that are can still be very useful and should be preserved. I agree. In in modernized. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I cover the I cover the new stuff, and and guys have surprised me. Right when I looked at Skrilla against Brandon Watley, do you think that I was expecting to like anything about that fucking match? I was just like. Oh God! I mean, in fact, I wouldn't look at it for a long time because I'm just like, I'm not watching this GIPW shit. I'm not doing it. And then I watched it and I went, oh, fucking not bad. And there's no. aspects of it that are very good. And then I can help, you know, like that's great, you know. Um, so, yeah, we we don't fucking hate the mo- – I mean, Todd fucking helps out promotions, books promotions. Like we don't hate the modern game. But I will say that I hate that it's not better. <laughs> and so that's my way of contributing. And I, there's guys, the guys want to listen because the guys know. The guys, the guys want to be better. So Yeah. 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 And it can be better. It, it can be. You know, I mean, we, I mean the, tooth, the toothpaste is out of the, the tube, but we can, you know, not let it be shown it's out of the tube while the people are watching it. Yeah. yeah. Well, absolutely. So, Todd, remind us again when when is Southern Fried kicking off again? And um, first rows already sold out, so people need to get on it. So, when's the show? Get on it. Get tickets. March sixth, um, at our uh, Southern Fried's original home, the Noel Rec Center. Um, 
in Monroe, Georgia. And you can contact Angela. No, that's not her name. Harvey. Angela Harvey. Thank you, Kelly. On Facebook or social media or David Manders. Sounds good. I appreciate you guys having me on. I'm glad we got to have this talk because, you know, we've, I've talked to both you guys and we both, you know, had this deep appreciation for professional wrestling, especially on stuff we grow. So I appreciate having the chance to talk about this. So thank you guys. Thanks for stopping by. And, uh, one little note before we go off here, a little break, late-breaking news. A former guest on this show and uh, former Georgia star, O'Shea Edwards, made Ring of Honor TV. He will be... Oh, good. Uh, he just said he got signed. Yeah. He, just, he just told me you were saying it. He got signed to Ring of... Good. About time. Yeah. He's got his first his first TV match will be a week from tonight. I think I guess they did a promo awesome. segment tonight, and the match will air next Tuesday. That is awesome. Yeah. Good for O'Shea. Such a good yeah. guy. Yeah. Nicely done. Well, thank you to Todd Sexton. Southern Fried's back in the mix. So 2021 is off and running. And uh, Larry and I will be back in two weeks. Oh, what do you got going on this weekend, Larry? Where are you going? Maybe Southern Honor, maybe nada. We'll see, because Rob's got that show covered, and Charles has got that show covered. So I don't know what I'm going to do. Nice. And, Todd, what are you going to do? What are you going to do this weekend? I'll probably be at Southern Honor. That's right. I was asked to uh, come by there, so I'll probably be going there with a big, mean, nasty guy riding with. Nice. You know where I'm going to be this weekend? Florida? Somebody got me this fucking ticket to the Super Bowl, motherfuckers. Oh. <laughs> oh, you just had a horseshoe up your ass. I swear. It's, Going you and my brother, the biggest pieces of shit in the world, always find to get the good luck. <laughs> Jesus. Going to you don't the even have to try and shit comes across Super, your thing. Super Bowl. Super Bowl. And, you well, know, yeah. I'll be praying for both teams to... Uh, Stab each other like fucking Mordred and Arthur and fucking Excalibur. <laughs> run each other through and die. So. You know the cool thing is the cool thing is is that you actually get to go to like the COVID Super Bowl, which is kind of like, you know, it may be the only time it ever happens in this kind of manner. Right. So it is. It, it there is a first time aspect to it. So that is pretty cool getting on a run into that thing. And I only got to drive an hour to get there, which is also nice. So that is that is a sweet deal. <laughs> well, um, thank you so much, Todd, for coming on. And you know, Georgia wrestling is needs Southern Fried running, so that's very good news, I think, for everybody. So it's excellent. Thank you. And real quick, Michael Judas and Corey Hollis are awesome because if I don't put them over, I'm going to hear about it. So duly noted, Corey. Yes, thank you. Thanks, guys. Take care. All right. Thanks, Todd. Well, for Larry Goodman, I'm Stephen Platinum. We'll be back in two weeks' time. Um, let's see if we can get uh, Brandon Kirk and Casey Kirk on here. What do That's you think, Larry? That's the plan. That's the plan. Yep. Let's do it. Yes. Yeah, so we'll have the first couple of fucking deathmatch wrestling on. It's awesome. And uh, for Larry Goodman... I'm Stephen Platinum, and enjoy watching me on the Super Bowl, bitches. Uh, <laughs> this is 
this has been the tipping point. We thank you for listening to this broadcast, a production brought to you by the GWH Radio Network. Stay tuned to GeorgiaWrestlingHistory.com for the latest information on upcoming events and more. As always, we thank you for your continued support.